please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be studying in chapter 5 today. And there is a note of something that uh, Paul writes to the people of Corinth. And it makes us aware that he had written uh, an earlier letter. Uh, Though we call this one 1 Corinthians, there was an earlier letter that he had written. We don't have that one, but we have this one. And he says in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. That's pretty simple instruction there, isn't it? He's telling the church, do not associate with immoral people. Stay away from bad people. Don't let them around you. Verse number six, if you jump back up there, it says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of leaven. You let some leaven get in there. And a whole lump of dough was going to get leavened, and he was talking about an immoral person that was a part of their congregation. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. Don't associate with immoral people. As you continue reading in verses 7, 8, and 9, he continues, he says, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's the thought. I I broke it down. I tried to summarize this a little bit to make my point to fit with what he was saying about not associating with immoral people. And on the outline I have, the church is to be clean and new, filled with sincerity and truth, not living in the old way with malice and wickedness. We're to be clean. We are, we are saints. We are ones who have been sanctified. We need to act like it. And therefore, we don't associate with immoral people. We keep ourselves clean. And if you jump back to the end of 1 Corinthians, there's another verse that's relevant in chapter 15, verse number 32 and 34. It's going to say 11, that wasn't it. Paul says there, he says, If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So here's the latter part of this verse. He's just saying, here's the concept he's getting at. Hey, if, the, if there is no resurrection, then just let us sin. Let us eat and drink. Let us have a good time for tomorrow we die. Verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So there it is again. Don't associate with immoral people. Don't be immoral. And remember that bad company corrupts good morals. Now that sound like don't hang around immoral people. Don't associate with sinners. 
So now let's go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if I read just a little bit more, well, starting in verse 9 again, he says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean with the moral people of this world. So I got to pause here for a second. I just say, whoops. Paul kind of, he's coming into this language and he, he had to clarify what he meant. He had written earlier about something and now he has to clarify it. Clarify because they had misunderstood. So here we go with the concept that needs to be followed. Don't associate with immoral people. Verse 10, I did not mean with the immoral people of this world or the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. He clarifies himself. When he says don't associate with the moral people of the world, he's not talking about stay away from people at work who are immoral, who are sinners. Don't stay away from them. Don't disassociate yourselves from them. He wasn't talking about that. When you go to school, we got some young people that, hey, you guys go to school every day. He's not saying, hey, those kids over there are doing bad stuff. You just... Stay away from them. They talk wrong. Just stay away from them. Don't go around them at all. He's not saying that. He was clarifying what he meant. And verse 11 makes it clear. Verse 11, he says, But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. So here it is, if somebody claims to be a Christian, but they're not living like a Christian, they're the ones you stay away from. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now it's clear. Hey, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. Language of other places in Scripture and Jesus himself. We are here in this world, but we are not of the world. We don't remove ourselves from the world. We don't become monks who go hide away in a monastery and separate ourselves from the world. That is not what we are called to do. We are to associate with sinners. But when it comes to somebody in the church who claims to be a brother or sister in Christ, and they choose to sin, and as the case was in chapter 5 here, an immoral person who is just reveling or boasting about their sin, saying, look what I can do. Look at the freedom I have in Christ. Or, you know, then you say, well, what you're doing is wrong. You need to change. And if they don't change... You stop associating with them. You don't even eat with that person. If, uh, if somebody from this congregation were disfellowshipped and we've clarified some of the things about discipline before, I wouldn't stop them from coming in, but I wouldn't hand them the communion plate. I wouldn't offer them and say, you're in fellowship with us. 
I wouldn't even eat with them. Not even the communion feast, I wouldn't eat with them. They need to repent. That is the call to repentance. Not, hey, how are you doing? But it's repent. You know, in an awkward situation, isn't it? They come in and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing good. You're not. You need to repent. So that's the lesson here. And verse 12 says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within, within the church? Verse 13, those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So here's the concept. Don't associate with immoral people. But I'm not talking about people outside. I'm not talking about those people that we're around at work. Uh, we're talking about in the church. So lessons from this. So that's, that's the message, really. And I got some lessons for us to consider, a little bit more practical takeaway. And number one is the main message that I think Paul was getting at here. And that is, don't accept sin in the church. We can't overlook it. Don't just kind of, somebody is a covetous person, if somebody has a problem with anger in the church, if anybody has any problem with sin in the church, we go to them using our superpower, referencing our message last week. Our superpower is? Uh, anybody? Our superpower is what? Love. love. You can tell when the kids aren't here. The kids would answer, right? Superpower is love. So we go to a person in love with the love of Christ, and we try and help them. This isn't saying that we will never have sin in the church. It's saying that when we have sin... When there is a problem and an issue, we go to one another and we help one another. Now, if that person chooses to stay in sin, then it changes, doesn't it? No, you go, Eric, who are you to tell me what to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm pointing you to Scripture. I want you to be right with Christ. Remember this relationship that we're talking about when we have communion every Sunday. That's what I want you to have right, your relationship with Christ. Let's get that right. So we don't accept sin in the church, and if there is sin in the church, we address it in the right way, in a godly way, the way Christ has taught us. We go to that person in love. Number two, and that, by the way, that's the main message of all of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to make some further steps in uh, regard to this, uh, to this chapter and the things that we've read. And so number one, two, I want to tell us, and Scripture doesn't say do this. The Scripture that we read doesn't say associate with Scriptures, with, with sinners, excuse me. Associate with sinners, go to them and spend time with them. This particular passage didn't say that. But you could be left to wonder, well, are we supposed to? Is this what we're to do? Because it's, he said, I, wasn't, I didn't mean to... Uh, when, in verses 9 and 10, don't associate with immoral people. I did not mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, the swindlers, or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. You can't go out of the world, so you have to associate with them. You must associate with them. Associate with sinners. And we look to the one who did this in the greatest way. Go to Matthew chapter 9. 
Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Matthew 9, 10 through 13. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus, our great master and our Lord, the one that we follow. We do what he does. We speak like he speaks. We want to be like him. So therefore, we go to the ones who are sick. And we call them to righteousness. If we don't go to them, how can they be called? We go to those. We associate with people who are sinners. Associate with sinners. They're all around. This isn't hard, is it? You have to. Unless you're a preacher, I guess I could get away without, without being around sinners, except you all, right? Go to the, right, to, the, to the sinners. Be righteous when you are around them, though. But go to them, associate with them, be with them, because they're the ones that Jesus wants to call to himself. Man, we, uh, we talk about... You know, oh, things are getting bad. You know, things are terrible out there. People are so wicked. It's just awful. Things aren't like they used to. Blah, blah, blah. We lie, whine about it and complain and we just... But we're the answer. We're the answer. We're the ones that Jesus has asked to go to those people who are wicked Jesus knew they would be there, and he selected us to go to them. Go to the sinners. Associate with the sinners. Be a friend to tax collectors and publicans. The publicans and the sinners and just whoever they are, just go to them. Associate with them. Don't separate yourselves from them. You'd have to go out of the world. Jesus doesn't want us to go out of the world. He wants us to be a presence in this world. Number three. So number one is don't accept sin in the church. Number two is associate with sinners. And number three is this. Expect sinners to sin. Man, I can't believe that person's like that. I can't believe they do that. Look at them. You know what? Expect them to do stupid stuff and dumb stuff. Expect them to sin. Expect them to be ungodly if they don't have Jesus. And if they claim to have Jesus, and step in and you tell them you be they better knock it off because they're bringing shame to the name of Jesus. But you hear it, expect them to sin. Don't, don't come around and complain and say, oh, the world's so bad. Yeah, it's bad. 
If they don't have Jesus, they're going to be bad. I expect sinners to sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 is a close verse. This is probably the best one I could get in relationship to this particular point. Hopefully I didn't stretch this one too much. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Here it says, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. In other words, it's don't be surprised when haters hate, right? Don't be surprised when the ungodly act ungodly. Don't be surprised when people who don't believe in Jesus and hold fast to Jesus don't like you because you do. Expect sinners to sin. We went out door knocking yesterday. My approach is a knock on the door. Hi, um, I'm out with some folks. We're just asking people what they think of Jesus. You know what we should expect from people that you're saying that to? If they don't believe in Jesus, you could expect them to be rude and obnoxious and to, uh, to be threatening maybe or to say ugly things. I had one person who said, I don't need Jesus. And kind of slowly shut the door. If I had said something else, he would have stopped. He would have stopped. I just said, all right, that's, that's fine. Have a, I hope you have a good Saturday. I wish I would pressed him because I could see it in his eyes. He was waiting for me to say something else. He would have engaged in a conversation with me. I let him go ahead and shut the door and be, was, was nice. You know, maybe I can go back next time and say something to provoke a conversation. I don't know. But that's the most rude it got yesterday. Nobody got in my face. Nobody, nobody came at me and threatened me. What are you doing on my property? And I'm going to turn my dog loose on you or anything like that. Hopefully those folks that would have done that, they just kept their door shut, I think. Had some dogs in there barking, but most of them were wagging their tails wanting to come out and say hi. It was a pretty simple task. Going from door to door. Inviting people to be rude to me. What do you think of Jesus? Well, you take your Jesus. You know what I think of Jesus? Who knows what they would say? I had one guy that was kind of rude. That was it. But you know what I should expect at every door? I should expect people to be rude. I expect, if it's not a believer, they're going to come at me. That's what I should expect. Not, not, not coming into church the next day and saying, oh, I can't believe it. You know, I was out door knocking and some guy was rude to me. Said, said you can have your Jesus. You know, that was only, he was being honest. Expect sinners to sin. Don't complain about it when they do. Live a life that shows them how to live, and really that's going to make them more mad, right? It's going to make them hate you more when you're living right because it shows the sin in their own life. It highlights it. So expect sinners to sin. Don't complain about them. Don't say how bad things are. Don't accept sin in the church. Go associate with sinners. Expect them to sin. Don't be surprised when they do. And number four, don't shun sinners. Love them. This has been implied in the whole conversation so far, but now it's explicit. 
is our tendency that when we come to Christ and we want to keep ourselves pure and clean, it's like, I would never do that in my life. I don't want anything to do with them. You know? Is that how we want to live? Is that how Jesus lived? Did he shun sinners? No, don't let the little children come to me. No, don't let the unclean come to me. Oh, it's, a, it's an unclean person with leprosy. Keep them away. Oh, man, he went and he touched them. We lo- our, my favorite story is when he goes to those people, those unclean, those unloved, unlovable people, and he reaches out and he touches them because he loves them so. He sees their soul, not their, not their concurrent condition. He doesn't see sin. He sees a, one who is loved by God, a soul. He sees them with eyes, the eyes of the Father who loves them dearly, wants them to come back to Him. Don't shun sinners. Love them. Love is our superpower. This is true. This is what we have. We don't need any miraculous thing. We don't need to be able to raise the dead. We don't need to be able to lay our hands on somebody and tell them, be healed. Our superpower is love. This is how we reach people. This is how we can change the world. And this is what we must do. Romans chapter 5. Here is the example of how Jesus loves how God loves, and he invites us to have a love like this. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what did Christ do for you? He died for you. When did he die for you? When you were a sinner. There's a lot of, a few other descriptions in here. When we were enemies, when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were jerks, arrogant, selfish, whatever you want to put in there. Uh, God died for us when we were like that. Jesus came down here into this world. The opening, the introduction to this lesson, it says, when the Son of God came into this world, he did not turn around and leave. Because he discovered that we're all sinners, he wasn't like, oh, i got to get out of here. Instead, he associated with sinners so that he could save them. Will you do that? Will you get down in the muck? And the, think of what the glory, he left the splendors of heaven and came down here, became flesh, and dwelled among us because he loves us. Knowing all along he was going to die for the sinners, die for the rebellious. He loves us so. So the question is, if he's got that kind of love, what kind of love should we have? Are we going to go to the sinners? Associate with sinners, expect sinners to sin, don't shun sinners, love them. Love them enough to share truth with them. Love them enough to go to their door. It's a scary thing. On the way down yesterday, I got in my car and I was just like, it hit me after we left. I told Jay and Charity that. On the way down here, I I told myself, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go door to door and ask people what they think about Jesus. 
And then I showed up and went. And after I get that first door knocked, even if nobody answers, I'm like, all right, let's roll. <laughs> Ready to go. But how much love do you have for people to step out of your comfort zone and love others? With all their mess, love them. Number five. The darkness of others allows us to shine brighter. Write it in. The darkness of others allows us to shine brighter. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and through 16, this beautiful passage. Uh, he's already talked there, uh, Jesus, about being salt. And in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what are you doing with your life? Are you associating with sinners in such a way that the love of Christ is shining in your life so that they can see it? Or have you taken a lampshade and just, well, not a lampshade, a bushel basket and just covered yourself? What are you doing? How are you living? Jesus came down to the sinners, became the light of the world. We need to continue his work. And number six, somewhat of a, a last caution that I think is needed uh, and related to the passage that bad company corrupts good morals, there is a cautionary warning here. And number six is influence sinners. Don't let them influence you. As you go out and you're the light of the world, you find you're getting so immersed in the darkness that the darkness is overwhelming you. You better figure things out, take a step back. That's why we come together. That's why, you know, church is so important. This is family here. This is the recharge, the beginning of the week, getting us ready for another week to go and do battle and to be the light. It's, it's to remind us of who we are as we partake of the bread and the cup. We are in Christ. Let's live like it. Church is so important. So continue to associate with sinners. But make sure that you are the one who is influencing them and not them influencing you. In the world, but not of the world, that's the key. We go out and about and we hang out with sinners, but we're not like them. We don't act like them. We don't let them influence us. We are influencing them for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's because we are in Christ. And He is in us. And if you want to be able to live like that, then you've got to give your life to Christ. The invitation is, is to not be like the world, but to be like the saints who are here today. To live like Jesus. We set our minds on being like Christ. And we want to go out and be an influence in the world. We, don't, we aren't a social club here. We, are, we get together and we fellowship and remind each other of who we are in Jesus. So then we can go out and influence and shine. 
It's what we must do. If you want to be a part of the ones who go out and influence, instead of the ones who are acting like the fools, then you need Jesus. And if there's anybody here today who needs Jesus, you want to give your life to Jesus, you want, to, you want that old self to be done away with, you want to have the new leaven, to be a new lump of dough that is with, filled with sincerity and truth, you want a new life in Jesus. You get that by coming and confessing His name. You come and you declare your own your own sins, and you say, I, the only way I can be saved is through Jesus, and I want Him, and I'm willing to give Him my life, and I want to live for Him forever. And you get rid of, you confess that old way and repent of it, and you get immersed into Jesus Christ, raised up to a new life that is in Christ. Raised up to live for Him. When you do that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His presence is a pledge in your life that He's always with you. Someday He'll come and take you home. That's a good promise. If there's anybody here today who needs Jesus, you want to be in Him, you're welcome to respond as we stand together and sing this song.